I mean, I read the Genesis account as being that Adam was created male and female was created out of him. And there's a very sharp, dare I say, binary distinction between the two. I mean, I think it's just pretty clear in the text, and I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone suggest that Adam was androgynous, was a mixture of male and female. So. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Vast Podcast. I am here with David Campbell. David, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> and we're joined by Michael, and today is a Q&A episode. Absolutely. We got some questions on gender. So we've been rolling through some Q&A over the last couple of weeks, and basically uh, a few questions came in around gender. So I'm going to just read three of them really quickly, and then hopefully that can just launch you to on some responses to uh, God's view on gender. So uh, question one was, was the first person created androgynous? The second question was, how does the six genders of the Hebrew language align with our view of binary genders? And the other question was, does Genesis one twenty seven outline genders as being binary? So there's a couple of questions, few questions all kind of wrapped up in that, but all heading to the same place. Uh, all right. What do you guys think? <laughs> I didn't even know that there were six genders of the Hebrew language. Well, neither did I. And I spent several years studying Hebrew. So I'm <laughs> wrong, but they're definitely. Uh, so that's fake news. That's just fake news right off the bat that there is no six genders of the Hebrew language. That's correct. There's definitely a masculine and feminine. Uh, where English is not a, really a gendered language but a lot of languages are they usually have masculine feminine and neuter as in greek and latin and hebrew certainly has uh a masculine and feminine um and, they, and as to the question about androgynous that means uh male and female i mean someone that has a mixture of the two uh sexual organs um I mean, I read the Genesis account as being that Adam was created male and female was created out of him. And there's a very sharp, dare I say, binary distinction between the two. I mean, I think it's just pretty clear in the text. And I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone suggest that Adam was androgynous, was a mixture of male and female. So, uh, you know, I, I... what what you can take out of the text, and I, I don't know where the, the questioner is coming from. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, the questioner, the person that asked this question, may have been reading something in Jewish theology or something like that. Maybe there's a mystical, uh, mystically oriented rabbi at some point that made that, you know, suggestion. Um but that's not in the Hebrew text and certainly wouldn't be mainstream theology in Judaism or Christianity, to say the least. And I've never heard. That's the first time I've heard of it. So that's really about the best I've got to say about that. I'm just trying to think if there's if there would have been anything in Moses's worldview that like he would it even be conceivable for him to have it in his mind that the the first man should be thought of and put forward as an androgynous person I, i'm not saying that you know people thousands of years ago 
weren't born, you know, in uh, as a hermaphrodite, I suppose. Is that a synonym? I mean, is this simply them asking like Genesis one seventeen, referring to God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. Like is someone just asking that because they're using the them pronoun? They, them? Maybe. Oh gosh, no. Well, that's (laughs) reading uh, something bizarre into the Bible there. I think that may be what they're asking. Well, in which case that is a completely, that's a misunderstanding of the Hebrew text. Definitely. Uh, so God, I mean, the text is saying that God created a man, woman, and that is the plural, uh, in, in the English language, uh, of two or more individuals. So that's all that that's saying. Um, uh, yeah, it would seem silly to read anything else into that scripture than simply God created male and female. Well, it's it's reading our our postmodern uh, view of gender into an ancient text, which is uh, something that we absolutely should not be doing. It's what, what do you call it? Eisegesis instead of exegesis. Yeah, on a on a grand scale. So, what was the third? Question? I mean, the six ge- genders. I've never heard of that. Uh, I'll have to Google that and see where somebody that from. The- the the, the the last question basically just informed the the first one, which was just does Genesis one twenty seven outline genders as being binary? Which I, I think any it would seem like any reading of that scripture that comes to any other conclusion other than that would need a bunch of hoops jumped through to come to any kind of conclusion and just straight up dishonesty, right? I mean that would that would seemingly be what I would read into it. I think it's worth saying at this point in the discussion that. Um, the current, uh, you know, conversation around uh, gender being a construct of language, and you can be whatever gender you want, you know, you can identify whatever way, is a uh, to say the understatement of the century. I mean, no one in human history has ever believed that, um, you know, up until this uh, d- development of uh, extreme versions of critical theory in recent years, which comes out of, um, uh, you know, deconstructionist philosophy of, um, some French guys back in the 1960s, uh, in, um, you know, language, their philosophy of language. And I don't even think they would have seen it take direction. Um, one of the things that you have to understand about current postmodernism is that it's completely divorced even from its founders of 50 years ago it's just it's taken some very weird uh directions um but we have to keep you know, pinching ourselves to say and rem- reminding ourselves and reminding other people that this is a reason that no one has ever believed in all human history uh and, and Still doesn't believe, except in certain weird academic departments of liberal universities, uh, you, you know, and followers of those kind of people. Yes. Uh, so I found uh, these six Jewish terms uh, straight from Wikipedia, an article about gender and Judaism, which says is a radical emerging subfield at the intersection of gender studies and Jewish studies. Oh, well, now gender st- okay. <laughs> there you go. There's your critical theory for you. Um, 
Gender studies centers on the interdisciplinary research on the phenomenon of gender. It focuses on cultural representations of gender and people's lived experience. Okay, so we're automatically not doing theology here. We're, we're doing gender studies. Um, but here are the terms, and I'm going to botch the pronunciation of these. Zakar, which is usually translated as male in English. Uh, Nekava, which is usually translated as uh, female. Uh, androgynos, which is a person who has both male and female physical sexual characteristics. 149 references in the Mishnah and Talmud. Okay. Just a moment, please. That that's not correct, because androgynous is a Greek word. There's no Greek in the middle. It's, you're saying that the word androgynous is not Hebrew. Uh, no, it, it no on air is the um, Greek word for man, and gune, from which we get gynecological, for instance, is the Greek word for women. And so when you put and and andros is the gen I can't I haven't got time to explain Greek grammar, but it's the genitive case on there. So andros is a form of the noun for man. So androgenos, that's uh, the joining together of male and female. So if what someone is androgynous, there's a mix between male and female. But that is the Mishnah was not. Let me assure you, was not written in Greek. So that's. That is a, a um, some that's for you know Pinocchio's to that person right away, yeah, and also <laughs> this is saying 149 references in Mishnah and Talmud in the first to the eighth centuries CE. Um, yes, is well, that, that's... Uh, what does CE stand for? That's AD. It, it's I was the, gonna say that's AD, right? It, so we're not even talking common, about common era, is what it stands. Right, common it, era. We, yes, a, AD is anno domini. It's a Christian terminology. So Jewish person, or if you're 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 trying to you know work Christians and Jews together, you would say B before the common era or CE the common era. Right. But, and so is it possible that this like this is like this term androgynous is appearing in some kind of like Greek translation of the mid Mishnah or the Talmud? The the point I'm making is that this is not ancient Hebrew thought. This is this is like post Christ, probably more liberal uh Jewish thought. Um most likely uh or there could have been um you know there there were Jewish communities that wrote literature in Greek. Because in the diaspora, you know, they were in Egypt and they Turkey and present day Turkey and just about everywhere. Um, so there is Jewish literature that was written in Greek, um, you know, and it tended to mix with Greek culture and the Greek gods. There was androgynous elements in there. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's possible that um, there were Jewish people mixing you know, Greek mythology as aspects of Judaism, but that's way off on the fringe. That's not talking. I, it, it's not that we're not talking about Orthodox Judaism here. Is in the Hebrew language or six genders is ludicrous. Right. They're, well, let's keep let's keep going. The next the next one. I'm I'm not how to say this. I'm gonna call it tum tum. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I clicked on. This one has a link to another Wikipedia article, and it's a term that appears in Jewish rabbinic literature. So again, we're not um, 
and this is also from the uh, uh, let's see, 181 references in Mishnah and Talmud, 335 in classical midrash and Jewish law codes. Rabbi Meir contrasts it with androgynous, saying it is not a unique creation. Uh, is not a unique creation. Quote: Sometimes a man and sometimes a woman. So, I I don't know without with uh, 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 it's possible that there the rabbi is commenting on. I mean, it was well known in antiquity. He lived in the second century. In 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 antiquity, you know, th there were hermaphrodites. Right, and that's kind of the point I was going back to earlier, even with Moses. Like, people are born with all kinds of physical qualities, even though it's rare. It's not a, just a modern day phenomenon. So just because they're recognizing the existence of this does not, and they may have been affirming, you know, six genders or whatever, but. Uh, no, well, I think that's highly unlikely. The same. It's, and, and, and if they were certainly not uh, with the same approach that we currently are doing in the West no, it, with gender it's studies. A, totally different. It's a, it's a, you know, po postmodernism has its roots in French philosophy it has nothing to do with classical Judaism, and you, you're you're taught to say that you're comparing apples and oranges would be an understatement. Right. The okay. last one is the word Saris, which I, again I'm probably botching. A male who does not develop at puberty, and or sub subsequently has their sexual organs removed. So I guess some kind of eunuch. Um, and I guess that maybe connects to what Jesus said: some are born eunuchs, some are eunuchs by choice, and some are made eunuchs. Um, we're t we're talking about extremely rare conditions of biology if you went to the same people that were commenting on that and asked do you believe that there are two genders male and female they would say of course be you out of your mind um and 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 i don't know the context of this but they're obviously their you know jewish rabbinical law was very particular about you know uh the covenant the male the circumcision all the rest of it so there may have been particular cases where they thought, what are we supposed to do with somebody whose sexual organs are properly developed? Are they allowed in, you know, a man's side of the thing or, you know, of the, uh, they allowed as men into the, you know, into the membership in the synagogue and so on or not. But the, the context of that discussion is on the assumption that there are two genders and that this is something that's, out of order it's something extremely rare it's it it's it's out of order and you know how do we deal with it it it's it, it's totally intellectually dishonest to say the least to then say oh there's all you know the rabbis actually were very postmodern. you know the the men were going into the ladies rooms and vice versa and all the rest i mean that's actually ridiculous in Matthew 19, obviously, which is the text that Eight we Pinocchios. <laughs> so many Pinocchios. Uh, in Matthew 19, Jesus talking about divorce affirms that in the beginning, God made us male and female to be joined together. That was Jesus of Genesis, and I'm going with it. Yes. Great. Okay, we got one more. That was great. I got one more question for you guys, and then we're going to do record some toxic theology that will be out for another episode. And this is a quick, snappy response. So... Each of you has only 30 seconds to respond to this question. What are your thoughts on the Catholic view of denying communion to believers in sin? Well, I think that's up to the Catholics to decide. I mean, uh, 
you know, the, the, the biblical record is simply uh, if you're, uh, you know, not right with your brother, then don't come to the Lord's table uh, or you may get into trouble. My 30-second response is I think that the Catholics have been historically much better at communion than Protestants. So I'm, I'm going to defer to the Catholics. And, and as someone who was raised charismatic, I think I can learn a lot from their approach. To... So are you saying that someone should be denied communion? I think that only believers should take communion. I don't know about whether or not somebody is... Uh, I guess if they're unrepentant of their sin, then uh, that's coming I mean, to the my, Lord's table my... in an unworthy manner. My dad was raised in the in the brethren, the Plymouth Brethren, and if they if the elders knew that they were people within the congregation that were not in good relationship with one another, none of them were allowed to come to the Lord's table until they got right with each other. Right. It's not just a Catholic thing. It, it is indeed a biblical thing to have some measures in place around taking communion. This is exactly what Paul speaks to in First Corinthians. Um, you can. It is possible to abuse the Lord's Supper. And uh, I think that's one area where Protestants were, you know, our charismatic evangelical stream have missed it. And so when we take communion at church, we say, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, mm -hmm. um, join us. And we could, you know, maybe stand to be a little bit more specific. I don't know. Mm -hmm.